So when you're creating a business and, and how I think about growing my business and what I'm doing on podcasting is a fabulous way to be a farmer, to grow the ecosystem. Welcome to the Emotional Coach Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori, and this week my guest is Paul Zelizer. Paul is a business coach for social entrepreneurs. He's also the host of the Awarepreneur Podcast and dedicated to community building and well-being. It was a fascinating conversation and I'm delighted to have had the opportunity to share the microphone with Paul. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive and it's really appreciated. The title tune is Pressure by Nevada. skepticism about is this another american thing we've seen down right 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 is this a california thing that's gonna <laughs> yeah. pass next week right <laughs> exactly so but the more i talk to people and i've had people from ireland from uk i've had people that have written books about it and you know from the last so i'm trying to again similar to my other podcast i'm trying to have as, as diverse as possible so people get a real sense for if they do go and work with with paul zelizer what what, what, what does he really stand for as opposed to be another face on an Instagram and whatever? So Perfect. now beyond that, I don't know. I, all I know is I get, I get nice uh, feedback from people. They love the fact that it's, it's, although it's about coaching, again, it's about anything. But like I was talking to a, a gentleman in India, he wants to create a million leaders uh, by 2030 through his books and through it's all. Look, it's, it's, it's all good. <laughs> that's the way I no. see it. We're all the same. We just do different things. And that's all. Beautiful. That's that really helpful. Um, yeah, that's perfect. Thank you, Andre. I just wanted to get a sense. Yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, so when we get started then, so Paul Zelizer, um, from, all the way from Albuquerque. Uh, thanks, Emilia, for joining me. We'll get through, we'll get, we'll get on to all, the, all what you're doing now, what you've been doing. But as I say, I like to start from trail running because I heard a couple of podcasts, your podcasts and podcast you were on and you mentioned trail running and uh, it's a passion of mine so just curious tell me a bit about it yeah well first of all thank you for having me on the show Andrea. i was looking forward to this and i saw it in my book i was like oh cool i get to have a great conversation today um you know i grew up in the east coast i was born in new york city but i moved to new mexico in 1993 and I moved to New Mexico because it's a gorgeous place. If anybody hasn't been here, it's the, on our license plate, it says the land of enchantment. And yes, that's a tourist like kind of motto, but it's true. This is such a remarkable place, not like anywhere else in the United States, at least. So I've been a backpacker and a mountain biker and a weightlifter and I played sports in high school and rock climber and a skier and a backcountry skier and a snowshoe. You get the idea where I'm going with this. <laughs> but, um, you know, I ran a lot in high school and in high school running was punishment. When you played sport, I played American football and lacrosse, which is sort of a northeastern U.S. sport. Um, a lot of running and running was always punishment. It was not fun. But as I matured and I took care of some of my health and I cleaned up my diet and um, started intermittent fasting, my joints started getting better and I could run again. And suddenly <clears throat> I made some connections with a few other guys 
who really kind of saw trail running as a way of being in nature and this really, I'm a minimalist, I live in a tiny home. And, you know, as opposed to like mountain biking where you need like thousands of dollars of equipment to do it well, like trail running, you need a decent pair of shoes and everything else is gravy, right? If you have a rain jacket and it rains, you know, that's cool, but sometimes you don't. So I started doing it and I fell in love. Um, And that's sort of my passion these days that allows me to be outdoors and challenge myself and see this gorgeous place that I live in very you know, up close and personal ways. And yeah, I'm really grateful to, to do it. I do everything from like a six mile run in the morning, um, you know, three, four mornings a week to sometimes we do, we literally ran uh, last October, it's called the Zion Traverse Trail. We ran from one side of Zion National Park to the other 42 miles in three days through incredible terrain. Um, you know, wearing a very light backpack and camping out um, under the stars most nights, you know. So it's, yeah, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. That's, that's fantastic. As I just wrote, before we turn on the microphone, uh, we were just saying, you know, we obviously go to the same hairdresser. And, uh, <laughs> your beard, your beard's fuller than mine, Andre. <laughs> but, uh, but the interesting thing, I, I had a similar journey in terms of playing sports, but I got really into trail running and I just found that um, we actually do across Ireland. We're going to cross Ireland in September from where I live to the West Coast, which is... Uh, 250 kilometers in three days nice. and that's to we're going to do it for mental health awareness but the reason uh, i'm saying this is because i found when i'm out, out in the mountains or the, the hills here more so the mountains in ireland or if i'm by the beach that's where the that's where the ideas come that's where the real leveler is you know to understand who really who am i and what i'm here for you know and that's uh, yeah. I suppose it's the same for you, your meditation, that's part of your meditation, or am I, am I correct? Yeah, I mean, I do meditate, and, you know, usually it's a seven-minute daily practice, but, you know, being a coach, my work is mostly fairly stationary, and, like, sitting meditation, which I've done, um, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour a day at different points in my life, I love having that spiritual practice, but there's something about sitting, especially as I age, given that my life, you know, I'm not out there, you know, digging with a shovel or doing something very, very physical. So to have a physical practice, like on the weekends, we do a big run, usually either Saturday or Sunday, and that big run can be 10, 15, 20 miles. And this is New Mexico. Like I live at 5,000 feet. I live at a mile high. And when we go to the mountains, it can be 10, 11, 12,000 feet. So to go do a half marathon in the mountains, like, or go do a full weekend away in the mountains, there's something that's both incredibly healing in terms of the movement, and also the um, combine that with being in nature. And then also the guys that I run with, it's, it's, I'm in a men's group, but it's like another men's group, right? Like we run and then we just sit down, how you doing, man, right? And then we have these conversations that you wouldn't expect most men to have really honest and forthcoming conversations. So you put that together, the movement part and the nature part and being with people, sharing in very genuine ways and supporting each other. Like those are some of my favorite things. And when you put them all together, it's, it's incredibly sacred to me. Absolutely. And one of, one of my friends that runs with me and helped me organize this run across Ireland, he said, the beauty of running and talking is that 
sometimes you, you don't see each other in the face and, and it's, it's easier to say things that you wouldn't normally if yeah. you're just staring at somebody in the eye. And I thought it was really, really interesting. I never thought it that way, but we do. We do have um, a great men's club same there. that We just talk about everything. Tell me a little bit about that. Just, just again before, I'm, I'm just curious about this intermittent fasting. Um, how did you find that? Is it, is, was it a good thing to do or are you still doing it? Because I'm, 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 on, the, I'm on the fence on that one. I've been You're on the fence on right. that one. <laughs> I, I, it, it's been incredibly healing for me, Andrea, but I'm one of those people that I believe in biohacking, like constantly just experimenting. You know, humans are like trees. When we stop growing, we die. And what worked for me at 20 or 30, you know, I'm 52 as we record this, like it's got to change. And to be constantly experimenting, you know, what we put in our mouths, in our bodies, in our psyches, in our nervous systems is one of the most significant choices I think we can make as human beings. So I'm not attached like everybody should do intermittent fasting. No, it actually doesn't work for a lot of people. My personal body has responded really, really well. I've been doing it about four or five years. I lost weight. I, my energy's up. And uh, for me, the biggest thing um, is, like I was saying earlier, my joints, which had been pretty beat up from a lot of very vigorous sports, including contact sports, um, my joints healed. And suddenly I could do things like run half marathons again. When that in my 30s and 40s wasn't an option. Um, I was, you know, blessed to not need, you know, knee surgery or shoulder surgery or a lot of the other people that lived the kind of life and made the kind of choices that I made needed those things. But like going for a 15 mile run for fun on a Sunday, that wasn't on the radar for Paul Zelizer. And um, when I cleaned up my diet and started doing intermittent fasting, and there is some research that's very new that intermittent fasting um, seems to help with inflammation, at least with some people. And for me, it's been like that, Andrea. So, you know, the combination of more energy, um, more mental clarity, and also just giving me back the ability to move in ways I haven't moved for 10 or 15 or 20 years, for me, it really, really, really works. But like I said, I'm also somebody who's in a, like, every human is different. Every body is different. Um, I'm not somebody who says everybody should do this. I'm more like, keep experimenting, keep trying things. If you thought, well, maybe intermittent fasting would be, you know, helpful to me. Well, try it, right? Like, I mean, just going to sleep at night. Most of us don't eat while we're sleeping. Try that, extend that window a little bit. If you normally sleep for eight or nine hours, you know, try what happens when you don't eat for 10 hours or 11 hours. Oh, now I'm at 12 hours. Oh, now I'm at 14 hours. Oh, now I'm at 16 hours. And eventually it's just, a, it's just part of what I do nowadays and there's no drama. Um, I'm, it's just, yeah, my body's really adapted to it and it's had really, really good effects. Wonderful. And the reason I was asking you all this background is because one of the things uh, with your podcast and your, your practice, uh, you know, yeah, I love you have the intersection of conscious business, social impact and awareness practice. So I guess that's where all the awareness comes from. You know, it has to come from you before you can talk to your clients about it. Am I right? Yeah. I've been learning about and experimenting with awareness practices since I've been 17 years old. And I'm not 17. I like to joke I <laughs> earned every one of these gray hairs. <laughs> <laughs> 
Very good. So tell me about the we we go a little, about the podcast because I listened to a few. Uh, you put me in touch with Lee, and he's going to come on the show this week. Oh, cool, week. Lee Chambers, really, that is right? Lee Chambers. Yeah, yeah really yeah. interesting, uh, really interesting conversation you had with him. And yeah, so I'll 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 have a conversation with him this week. But and I listened to a few uh, very very interesting show, and you're doing twice a week, which is uh, it's a lot of work. And tell me about the, 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 I know that, just tell me a little bit about the, the Awarepreneurs podcast, um, whatever you want to talk about. Well, I started the podcast, you know, in my practice, I mostly make my living as a business coach. And in my practice, I say to people, you can use any technology you want. I'm, again, kind of like fasting. I'm not like everybody should do a podcast. Everybody should do a video. Like you can everybody should do video. Video's hot. Everybody should write a blog. No. I widen back and say, what I think is really important is that anybody who wants to have positive impact and make a living helping other human beings. In other words, you're an entrepreneur and you care about people. It's not just about getting the money. You need what I call a featured marketing channel. Right, because otherwise you're at the the whims of you know Facebook changes its algorithms, or you're on Instagram and Instagram makes some changes, or um, the idea of a marketing channel is you own it, right? I own the Awarepreneurs channel. I decide what happens there. It goes out to dozens of players. It's on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and Podbean and <laughs> literally like six dozen different places. If iTunes makes a you know, tweak to their algorithm, I'm good, right? Versus many other ways that one would have of staying in touch with people and growing a business. A lot of people, you know, I, way back in the day, I learned this lesson. Wow. When a colleague of mine had been heavily invested in MySpace, remember MySpace, right? I started my business almost 14 years ago, so I'm dating myself. MySpace crashed and burned, and her income went from six figures to almost nothing overnight, you know, within, within the space of a couple of weeks. The bottom fell out because everything in her business depended on MySpace, and then MySpace just kind of tanked. People got tired of it. They didn't grow, whatever, right? So the idea of a featured marketing channel is something that you own. It's your video channel or your podcast. And so I've been blogging for quite some time. And blogging is just, you might, people say, oh, a podcast is hard work. You want to know what's hard work? Writing long-form blog posts. We're talking like 1,500, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 words. That's like writing a chapter in a book every time you want to do something to help people get to know you. And I got good at it. But it just after like, we're talking like nine years, it got really tiring. And I re I'm like you, and Andrea, I, I love to talk to people. Like, why am I writing blog posts? And why am I not? Do it just, I'm a very relational guy. And I wanted to find people that were doing truly impactful work, not the like self-declared social media. I'm going to go out there and like, change the world. In other words, give me your money and buy my new program. I really wanted to find people who I thought were doing truly impactful things and just ask them what were they doing? Why did they start it? And most particular for our listeners, like with Lee, right, who you mentioned earlier, he came on the show and we talked about why he started his business. He's a, a well-being coach. Um, and is working with companies and people in them in very fascinating ways. 
but also like what are the actual revenue streams? How does he actually earn a living as a social entrepreneur, which I found in the space people kind of danced around. It was like, an, you're going to ask me about money? You're going to ask me about how my clients find me? There's a law against that, right? And I'm like, no, that's one of the biggest questions people want to know. And I have my answers to that. I think podcasting both sides of the mic, being a host and being a guest like I am in your show, I think it'd be fabulous. And it's one of the things that's really allowed me to live a good quality life as an entrepreneur. But I don't want to just here's Paul's opinion. No, I want to hear like dozens of opinions, both on how people are having impact and how they set it up. And also how are they earn a living doing that impactful work? So yeah, I started the pod and I got tired of blogging. So all that kind of, you know, came together with some synergy and some power and about, yeah, I started thinking about five years ago, but I actually launched a little less than four years ago now. Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful. It's, it really is a similar journey to mine in a way that uh, I, with my social fabric podcast, it's all about people's passion and how they impact in the community. Uh, and uh, but but I'm really curious about because um, social entrepreneur is it's becoming almost a buzzword, and it, it, there's always that danger of when something it's good, it starts for the right reason, then. The big guys get get after, and you know we start to talk about it. But the the, the few podcasts I listen to, I mean, these are genuine people that are making a difference, and they're community based. They, they they're trying to make an impact socially. And what 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 is a social entrepreneur? What's your definition of social entrepreneur when you're talking to a guest? Because again, it could be could be anything really. Yeah. Yeah, social entrepreneur has grown tremendously. It's now one of the most fastest growing and in some places the most popular majors on college campuses around the world. Young people are looking around the world and they're saying it's a freaking mess, right? Look at climate change or you know, look at what's happening. I live in the US, the political divides and who's been left out and who's not thriving. So young people are looking around and saying the world's a mess. And we need to do something about it, but we don't want to be like broke nonprofit leaders, right? We want to live decent quality life. We're not talking about a private jet plane, at least the young people I'm talking to, but we want to live a decent quality life. We don't want to be chasing grants or having our money out, you know, hand out begging for money. Please give us another $25, $50. Don't. They don't want to live that way. So it's really speaking to young people. And for me, that's really important. When we look at the rise of social entrepreneurship, what's grown it is the people who will inherit this planet and become, already are and are increasingly going to become the next generation of leaders saying, the, the world's a mass. And the path out of it is we need to kind of bake it into the everyday fabric of what we do for work. And that was certainly my own journey. I did 15 years in, in community mental health. I like to joke. I went from social worker to social entrepreneur. I didn't even have a word for that, Andrea. Like when I was rebooting myself, I just knew I loved working in communities and I'm wired to be as helpful to people as I know how. But I got tired of feeling like on top of actually doing the work to help people, then I was supposed to fight for the scraps that would like, you know, get dished out in very small, relatively numbers to the people that were focused on actually helping community. All the horsepower was over there where business was. 
And um, again, I didn't have the vocabulary back then, but I was like, somehow you got to figure out how to help real live everyday people and, and the communities that I live in and other people live in and sync that up with what's happening where the horsepower is. And that's, that was my personal journey, right? I'd already done 15 years of really like powerful work in communities. So I got the social part. But when I was reinventing myself from social worker to social entrepreneur, there's a big learning curve for me about, you know, how do we sync those things up and bake it in? Not just like, I'm going to go become like the next Bill Gates or some famous, you know, business person. And then when I've amassed millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, then I'm going to give away some of it. That's, that's the old model of helping as uh, a business leader. And many of us, especially young people are saying, what happens if we bake values and being of service to everyday people in the communities we care about into the DNA of whatever your product or service is? So that's how I like to think about it. Not particularly unique. But again, just like intermittent, I'm not a guy who's like trying to like force my definition on somebody else. If you're focused on helping others and you're trying to get your message out there into the world, I'm the kind of guy that says, tell me about what you think it is and what you're doing to help. And if it's genuine and it's grounded and it's inclusive, I'm going to do whatever I can to amplify it, which might mean asking you to be on my podcast. Fascinating. And it's interesting that you say... um, you know, you're giving back once you've made the millions and millions. There was somebody said, you know, if you're waiting to give back, means you've taken too much anyway. <laughs> right. <laughs> Pretty good chance that's true, right? Yeah. But uh, so, so when you just, I'm curious about that particular uh, transition when you decide to be, well, you decide to become a coach. Uh, and that must not have been the easiest thing because obviously, you know, starting a coaching business is not straightforward enough did you start with some clients already or you just went okay my time is done from the social community worker now i'm doing this i i was that's a great question andrea i was blessed as i was starting to like i was burning out and needed to reinvent myself i got a phone call from somebody that i had worked with and it was one of those phones i was sort of like in the conversation with the universe like all right universe somehow I need to figure out because you're a social worker, right? You like get whatever you get, you know, whatever it is in the U.S. might be 20 or 30 or maybe $40 an hour, right? You have to work hard when you have a family to like, you know, that's a, that's a more than full-time gig, right? I, I was like talking to the universe and the phone rang, like, look, I need like some decent paying work while I start my business, right? And um, I got a contract, somebody I um, had done a lot of work with, let me know of a very unique situation. I've never heard anything like it before. Um, and it involved being a federal contractor, which paid really, you know, really well in that realm of, you know, doing community mental health. And that allowed me to work like 20, 25 hours a week. And that's one of the more um, stress-free paths to start up is have a decent income that you can work, you know, a reasonable number of hours and then launch. So then I took the courses in marketing and built my first website and tried to figure out how to do social media and started to learn how to blog and started to 
every Friday. I had networking slots in my calendar where I'd meet people on social media that were doing it. Just I really <laughs> built my network and kind of figured it out and it gave me about 15 months of startup funds. And, you know, I did the work, but I didn't have to work 60 or 80 or 100 hours a week. I could work 30 uh, or 25 and provide for my family. So I was really, really grateful for that contract. Love that, uh, talking to the universe, because I'm a great believer in that, you know, just uh, opening up and things will come, you know, if, if you're the right person for the right reason, for the right job, things will come to you. And sometimes it takes a long time, but <laughs> it, it, it does come. And the, what I love about your, um, the way you're talking community, community, it's, it's a very strong in, in your vocabulary, community is always there. And, and that's, that's we, we already spoke about your friends in the morning running. As I said, we have parallel lives going on here where I can't do with that. I need, I need my pack around me. And but for the right reason, I need to be able to, to have somebody to, bring me down a peg or, or bring me up a peg, depending, you know, depending on the day. <laughs> right? Most of the time it's bring you down. <laughs> but, but what I love about uh, what you're doing with the Awarepreneur podcast, and, um, and I might even join because you, you created a, a community of hundreds of like-minded people where, yeah, there's a cost associated with to allow you to do the work you do, but also tell me a bit about that because that's a, it's a fascinating, it's, it's kind of a step, a step ahead of the Patreon idea where everybody pays a cup of coffee and moves on. This is a lot more involved, right? Yeah, it is. We actually do use Patreon as our platform, but basically it's a tiered membership. If you want to understand the bit, you're, you're doing what I do, Andrea. You're like asking about the business model, which I love, right? <laughs> I'm a very granular guy. So Wordpreneurs is a tiered membership. And the idea is that, you know, I, I still make most of my money doing one-on-one -on -one and small group coaching. And that's great. But there's a limit to how many people you can impact in that model. And, and just like 14, almost 14 years in, like I want to help people learn. I don't always need to do 90-minute intensive business coaching sessions for that to happen. So what we do with Awarepreneurs, yeah, we're over 300 members all over the world. People at different phases of starting their business, some have like no paying clients or, you know, very few sales of their product. And others are like, you know, um, seven figure business leaders. So it's not so much where you are in the process, but more of the commitment to the values. And values are on the website. They're very easy to find. Um, but basically what you described earlier, that intersection of conscious business, social impact and awareness practices. And what we do is we do master classes every month where people come who have developed very successful social enterprises and share about what they've done and how they've done it in great deal of detail. Um, at the higher three levels, we really help people think about podcasting and leveraging podcasting to grow a social impact brand. So that could be on either side of the mic right now. You're the host and I'm the guest. I also have a podcast. I'm the host and invite guests on. <clears throat> um, but it's such a relational way. And if you choose wisely in your podcast, either the guest you have on as a host or the um, host you approach to be a guest on uh, their shows, such a fabulous relational and incredibly effective. We just had uh, Niha, um, Matt Leofsky, the fail coach, um, come to the Awarepreneurs 
Um, we call it our podcast success team. Um, Miha's done 100 guest interviews in the first part of 2020 on other people's shows. He estimates that it's brought in an additional 30 to, uh, I'm sorry, 300 to $400,000 of revenue, all done with integrity and how he selected it and how he synced it up with his business goals. Such a warm guy, no push, no manipulation, just very genuine being of service and doing it in a very skill. He came to our podcast success team and said, here's how I find the podcast. Here's what I said. So because I've been doing this a long time, I have a very well-established network of very generous people. And we share whatever the topic might be um, in more detail and in more like with slides and very like questions and answers and being able to get in very direct relationship with people who are doing certain things that um, can help our community members learn how to grow their businesses and to have more positive impact. So yeah, that's what it's about. I love community and this is in particular community or you know, committed to values and integrity and positive impact. And also that real, like my, the way I talk about it, there's nobody in a warepreneurs community is looking to drive a fancy new sports car and live in a castle and have a private jet plane. But many people who are trying to have positive impact haven't cracked the code on the, you know, the entrepreneur part of social entrepreneur. And what we do as a community is help people find their aligned path to really making it work as an enterprise. Lovely. Yeah, I had a quick look at it. I'm going to have a proper look at it after this call because it's, it's very interesting. I, I like the model. Um, so I, I read, I think it was on LinkedIn, you were saying, you know, you, but it was last month or this month that you, some of your new clients came through the podcast because they heard you, whether on yours or whatever. So I'm curious about that particular guy. And I'm not trying to pry on your business, but I'm just really curious about First of all, who do you attract is, is, is a type of person comes to you. And once they're in with you, because obviously your idea is, is a social entrepreneur is, is, is quite strong. But if I'm attracted to you, I come to you with a great idea that is business only. I mean, is there an element where you hoping to bring him along to a, a social entrepreneur journey or? That's a great question, Andre. You know, I don't have an agenda for other people and partially because I've been at this a while and I have an established podcast that's pretty well known in our space and pretty well known on social media, you know, LinkedIn. I've, over the past year, I've been very public kind of transitioning from Facebook because of the values of the company. Just, oof, boy, just if anybody wants, that's another topic. If anyone wants to talk about Facebook and values and the concerns that I and many other folks have, you can go to a website, uh, Stop Hate for Profit. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, Stop Hate for Profit is the hashtag and it's also a website. Um, so you can get a sense of why some of us are concerned, but I've certainly got concerned. So I'm on LinkedIn, have a big network there. And, and so, you know, I'm not like trying to like, in, in, in the language of one of our guests on the Awarepreneurs podcast, uh, Pam Slim, she talks about the difference, Andrea, between hunting and farming when you want to grow a business. Love this analogy. Hunting is very transactional. Oh, there's Andrea. He has a wallet. Let me see how I can, what do I need to say to get him to open up his wallet and give me money, right? Like, it's almost like you 
place crosshairs hunting right like there's a you paint a target on somebody and you even hear some language of this in the more traditional business line your target audience very militaristic you know and 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 we can feel when somebody's relating to us in that way the idea of farming to grow businesses you're you're enhancing an ecosystem right just like a good farmer you know, understands that you have to be in it for the long haul. And the way you become a great farmer, not even just a good one, a great farmer, is you grow soil. And then you can plant almost anything that your region will grow and it'll thrive, right? So when you're creating a business and, and how I think about growing a, my business and what I'm doing on podcasting is a fabulous way to be a farmer, to grow the ecosystem, to introduce people, to come on your podcast and to try to provide value, to bring guests that are just generous and kind and really skillful at what they're doing and select them very thoughtfully, not just like, oh, cool, I got somebody checked off for Tuesday and next week, right? But like, no, is this the right person? So for instance, I don't just have guests on my show on day. I meet with everybody, even if you're really famous. And you're like, no, I don't have time. This happened to me the other day. The person's PR, I don't, they don't have time to meet with you. I said, that's cool. Then they're not a right fit for this podcast, even though they have a giant social media following and all that. And in my earlier days, I would have said, Oh, sure, come on the pod. You've got a giant following. Yeah, you're kind of well known. No, it's about genuine, deep, meaningful relationship. And what I find is, as I've gotten more relaxed in that, I can be i can find right relationship with other people who are doing good work some of them will pay me nothing and it's just we'll we'll talk to each other on linkedin and i'll comment on some of their posts and they'll like some of mine or some of them might be at a 25 dollars membership at awarepreneurs and somebody else might be at my six month individual coaching package which is one of the more um <clears throat> I used to do in-person retreats where people flew into New Mexico, obviously with COVID-19, that's on pause. So, so now my one-on-one -on -one coaching is like the high, I'm not attached, whether it's like we comment on LinkedIn together or like somebody hires me for the most boutique, in other words, expensive service that I have one-on-one -on -one for six months and many people follow up after that. I'm not trying to steer that conversation. I'm in conversation with many fabulous humans and I'm a farmer, or at least I try to be in my business. Grow good soil, help the ecosystem of people doing social impact work with care and attention to values and trying to learn how to take care of ourselves and be resilient and remember who we are as we do that work. And I get plenty of work for to feed my family and live a good life without a whole lot of stress. That's how I think about business. And it might sound kind of naive, but you talk to other folks who are in this space who are doing well and you unpack it. And it turns out a lot of us are living that way. So I try to create community for others who want to live that way. Yeah, no, it sounds wonderful. I mean, it is, uh, it's walking the walk and talking the talk, you know, the, the importance of both, you know, to be able to, to, to say, to live the life. You, you mentioned you're a minimalist. How, how do you, how does that manifest for you? What is a minimalist for Paul Zelizer? It's part of my values, um, especially living at this point in moment in the human journey on planet Earth. Andrea, I, I love this planet. I love nature. I love humans. I think about, you know, the children and the grandchildren and future generations. And, you know, we haven't 
being great stewards of this planet. You look what we're passing on and the environmental climate crisis that we're in. So um, when my daughter went off to school, I, I really, uh, college um, about, well, she did her senior year abroad. So it was three years ago. And over the past, you know, getting ready for her to go into the world. And I only have one child. And that was, you know, 20 years of my life being a dad and a family man. And um, at one point had a big house with a three car garage and a CrossFit gym in the garage. And then we built a shed in the back garden, you know, so they add up all those, that's a lot of square foot, right? We were not necessarily, we tried, it was solar, but you know, we tried our best, but that was a lot of impact. um, I now understand. And um, as I started coming into better understanding of my values, what I realized is I don't need a lot of things, right? Most, so yeah, now I live in a tiny house. Um, and the idea of a minimalist is not necessarily how many things one owns, at least for me. It's about letting experiences and relationships drive our life instead of things. And especially in the United States, there's such a culture of materialism and whoever dies with the most toys wins. That's not my values. It never was, but it's even less so in this point in time. And to lean out my physical space and to live in a beautiful but simple home and then have time and energy to run and do a podcast and do community service work and spend time with my loved ones and you know, biohack and make kombucha and sauerkraut and other fermented foods from scratch and grow a little garden. That's who I want to be. And when I have a lot more things that need maintenance and I need to pay for, I have less time to live my values. So for me, being a minimalist is just letting my values determine my day-to-day life as opposed to the things and the paying for the things being the primary driver of what my day-to-day experience looks like. Being a minimalist means I can let my values be the primary driver. And if a client isn't a good fit, I can let them go because I'm not driving a big old expensive sports car, right? I drive a 2016 uh, station wagon that fits all my camping stuff and gets me where I need to go and gets good gas mileage doing it, right? It's not it's a VW. It's not a Lamborghini. It has, it's turbo. It's fun. I like my car, but it's not an expensive thing to maintain. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I love all that. That's uh, that's that's great to hear. And the last question before I let you go, folks, I, I'm like, yeah, I, I love long form. I, I can talk to you for the day. But <laughs> Where did you I, go I'm trail a, running yesterday, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to ask you. I will ask you eventually. But uh, <laughs> no, because, uh, we, we, what we normally do, we go abroad for it, for our long run. So we, we did an 80 kilometers run over the, the Pyrenees in Spain last year. And the year before was uh, 60 kilometers in Bilbao. And over the mountains, it was fabulous thing. But uh, and we always nice. talk about going over to to the states to do the to do probably the Rockies at some point. But obviously now everything has changed. So I will I will keep in touch and find out about your trail running uh, places because you never know when once the oh, world come really with opens. Us. Please come <laughs> run with us, yeah. But uh, before I let you go, I just well I like to know that um I mean you created this great community and there's more of you and you both through your work and through your podcast you're creating this nice ecosystem 
of of like-minded people do you see do you think that this kind of you know changes will happen is are you optimistic about all of your, your daughter is she going to be more um open to a social entrepreneur as opposed to be part of the machine that has been up to now what is google of facebook or your name is and any any of this amazon and what have you sure yeah my daughter is um she took a social entrepreneurship program for teens at 13 years old. Um, it changed her life and, and very lucky here in Albuquerque to have dedicated people and community that are thinking about our young people. Her, uh, my brother and sister-in-law are also social entrepreneurs. Um, so she's, you know, very well steeped in all this. She knows what I do. She works for, she's worked for clients of mine since she's been 13 years old. Um, doing social media management. And right now she's working with a client that um, is uh, hired her to help her get booked on podcasts, right? So, um, and uh, this is a, a, a black diversity, equity, inclusion coach. Um, so, um, you know, she loves these kinds of conversations. She's probably going a little bit more. She's a, a an honor student at um, George Mason University in the uh, International Relations Program. So she's probably looking more in that co conversation, but we've been talking about social enterprise as a family with her since she's been 12 or 13, and that even people who are leaders in the kinds of spaces she's interested in, like international relations, the idea that, you know, to be, thinking like a social entrepreneur is going to be important. Innovation, creative uh, approaches to fundraising. And, you know, she's gotten hired and paid and made most of her money in her short life. She's 20 now. She's been working for seven years, working for social entrepreneurs in one, one way, various, you know, different roles from social media to, you know, doing some assistance and behind the scenes marketing to getting them booked on podcasts. It's been the majority of the money she's made and it's been a huge influence in her life. Where does she go with it? We don't know yet. Is she going to start something formally social entrepreneurish? I don't know, but the thinking and the way a social entrepreneur approaches tough problems, that's baked into her DNA at this point. And I feel grateful that we can have those kind of conversations and just like fasting i'm not telling her she should be a social you should do fasting you should do you know social entrepreneurship but rather helping her think about how social entrepreneurs approach problems and you know we've had conversations even about entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs like you know at 15 years old i was conversing an entrepreneur being somebody who works inside of a larger organization but has a social enterprise you know social entrepreneurs mindset so, um, you know, I do think it's impacted her life. And like I said, Andrea, this is one of the biggest trends for young people on planet Earth right now. So I don't think we have to push young people. I think if we can model, she knows what I do for a living. She's, she's worked for my clients, right? We've, we, she's, you know, um, listened to particular podcast interviews with guests that feel highly aligned with things that she's interested in. So I don't have to push it hard. I just try to model. I try to be willing to listen. I try to be willing to 
um, hear what's exciting to her. And if something comes up in my network, I'll pass it on to her. And through that mechanism, we started with her very young having those kind of conversations. And then, like I said, this actual kind of social entrepreneur startup weekend when she was 13, she talks about it. That was a game changer. And it's influenced her thinking about her career, she says, probably for the rest of her life. Fantastic. And to go back to the analogy of your guest, you, you've done a good, good job of farming all of that. You just uh, you created the soil for her to, to grow to whatever she's going to grow into. I said, that's great. It's great. It's certainly something I've tried to do. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's the hardest job, isn't it? Being a parent. <laughs> it's, I like to joke. My... <laughs> Parenting and starting a business, the two biggest personal development courses you never knew you signed up for, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I've done both a couple of times and uh, yeah, it's not easy, but it, it's fun. It's fun. Well, Paul, um, I really, really appreciate your time. As I said, I could talk to you forever, um, but uh, I'm conscious of time and, um, and I'm going to let you go, but uh, I will keep in touch and you never know, I might come over and visit you for a run or vice versa. If you're ever coming across the pond, please look me up and we'll take you out somewhere for a nice run and a swim in the cold sea. I would love that, Andrea. That'd be fabulous. And thank you so much for having me and thank you for what you're doing with your podcast. It's such a beautiful space that you hold. Kind of